That's my prayer, that as we open up God's Word, that we would see how mighty is the power of the cross. If you would, we're, we're back in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 10. I'm going to cover some ground this morning, go all the way through half of chapter 11. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but uh, do encourage you, maybe when you go home, especially those of you who have community groups tonight, or even if it's later in the week, uh, take time to just read the passage and reflect on, on the sermon as you do so, and I think that will be helpful to, uh, to you and your own soul in pressing the, the thoughts that come from the sermon um, into your own heart. Well, there's always those experiences in life that no matter how much you mentally prepare yourself for, until the moment you go through it, you don't actually know what you're in for. I learned this when I first went to seminary. Um, I was preparing myself for Hebrew, Greek, theology. Um, my wife and I, Sarah, we were, um, were not yet married. I guess when I started seminary, we were two weeks. We'd been married for two weeks. So preparing to go to seminary, we, we moved from Lexington, Kentucky to Los Angeles. And, and, and get this, we moved out there without a job and without a place to live. But we had a plan. Um, and the Lord was gracious. So, um, but you, you know, we're, we're going to do this. We, we can make it through. And I told my wife-to-be at that time, I was like, are, are, you, are you sure you're ready for this? Because it's going to be late nights, early mornings, I'm going to be studying, this is going to be rigorous pastor training stuff. Well, I'm thinking i got to get her ready. Well, it's the first day of orientation and I, I learned something. There's an exam. And the exam is an English grammar exam. And at first I'm like, well, I'm American. I, <laughs> I got this. And so at the end of orientation, like you're going to take an exam. Um, you, we we want to make sure you have English grammar because you're going to write papers. And believe it or not, if you're going to learn Hebrew and Greek grammar, you, you at least need to have English grammar down. And so uh, you're going to have an entrance exam, um, and you have to make a 70. Well, I take the exam. And that night, they have a big celebration, kind of new orientation students. And, and they say, you can go up into the student lounge, and they'll have all the grades posted. And of course, I'm like, oh gosh, come on. Surely I passed the English exam. Remember, you need a 70. Well, I go up there, find my name, Philip Chase Sears, 69. <laughs> My reward was that you got to go to the English refresher course <laughs> for the weekend. And what was even more embarrassing is that in my incoming class, there were several international students, and none of them were at the English refresher class. <laughs> Seminary was more than I had bargained for, and it had come in a, in a way I did not expect. Well, in this text that we find ourselves in this morning... God's word had always promised and foretold that the nations were going to be blessed, that the nations were going to come in. But when it actually starts to happen, 
no one was prepared for it. They weren't prepared for how exactly God was going to do it. We saw, as I read from Genesis chapter 22, that God promised Abraham that in your offspring, the nations are going to be blessed. The prophet Isaiah says it this way. The Lord says through the prophet, it is too light a thing that you, meaning Israel, his servant, should raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. My salvation may reach the end of the earth. So the prophet's looking forward to this day in which somehow from Israel the nations are going to be blessed. They're going to be a light. When we come to the book of Acts, Jesus is risen. He's giving final marching orders and instructions. And in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Jesus addresses this same expectation. The apostles asked Jesus, verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Look at what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And here it is. And to the end of the earth. In other words, you're going to go to the nations. Hearing these words, which were in sync with the Old Testament, I, I think the apostles and the early church, that they knew the plan in some way was, we're going to reach the world. But what they did not expect was how this was going to occur. And when it does happen in our text, we're going to find out that they were astonished. You could translate the word that when we, we've come across it, their minds were blown. It did not fit the paradigm, the expectations that they had for themselves. See, in, in Acts chapter 1 through chapter 9, as we've been walking through the book of Acts, here's what I want you to notice. There are no Gentiles yet. Gentiles is just a Jewish term for anybody who's not a Jew. That means Asians. That means Romans. That means Africans. That means all types of people who are not Jews. We have yet to meet them. Now you might say, what about the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, he's from Ethiopia, but that doesn't mean that he might have been born a Jew. I think the emphasis here is that the Gentiles come in chapter 10. Probably, even if the Ethiopian eunuch wasn't born a Jew, he had probably gone through the process at some point of identifying himself. It's a process called proselytization in the Old Testament by which a non-Jew would become a Jew. But here, it's not what happens. See, if you weren't a Jew in the Old Testament and you wanted to become part of the people of God, well, you had to become a Jew. How would that happen? Well, number one, guys, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. And the older you got, I'm sure the bigger deterrent that might have been. Become part of the people of God. Not only that, then you would go through a, what was called a, a proselyte baptism. Something similar to what John the Baptist was doing early in his ministry. Where Israel was coming and, and they were going through a, a washing and saying we are repenting of our sins. This baptism for a pagan to come be a part of the Jewish nation was saying, I am abandoning my heritage. And I'm going through a cleansing process by which I am now going to become 
a Jew, and then they would have to make offerings in the temple. That was just to start the process. And then by going through that process, then you said, I will then obey the law of Moses. The first five books of the Bible. And usually how this came to play and really showed itself up in everyday life was, number one, we've already seen it, you, you, you were going to be circumcised, and if you had any male children, you're going to start circumcising them. You would honor the Sabbath, meaning Saturdays you would not work. In an ancient world, that was crazy. And then you would obey the food laws. No more bacon. That's the bottom line. No more bacon. And you also had all these rules that you had to follow. And basically, all these rules, if you look in the Old Testament, they were, they were there so that Israel would be a people distinct from the rest of the world. And these laws were used for a purpose to teach Israel that you cannot come to God on your own terms, that I am a holy God and you are a sinful people and you have to come on my terms. And it would let the nations know that if you want to come and be part of the people of God, you must be cleansed, you must be holy, you must be set apart. And so you had to do these things. If you wanted to be saved, you had to become a Jew. Well, as we come to Acts chapter 10, we see that with the coming of Jesus, all these laws in the Old Testament have been fulfilled. That's a big um, undertaking to kind of unpack, but here's what you need to know, that the Old Testament law were signs, if you want to, uh, looking forward to a future reality. All the sacrifices were to remind Israel day in and day out, year after year, that you are a sinful nation and that there, you need atonement, you need blood sacrifice to pay for your sins, and it looked forward to the sacrifice of Christ. All the food laws were to, to distinguish them uh, and, and to keep them holy. You are sinful. You need to be right with God. When Christ comes, he causes all kinds of trouble, doesn't he? He, he heals specifically on the Sabbath. Like, you've got six other days. But he does it to prove a point, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That was a rest that was looking forward to a day, an era to come when you can rest. And I am the rest that is coming. Jesus comes and all these things were looking forward to this reality. It was like maybe uh, an analogy you might have is an engagement ring. Engagement ring or a wedding ceremony. You go through all this process and lots of symbolism. But you wouldn't say, oh, the, all, you know, the, 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 substance of your marriage was all in that day and in the in the metal that you put on your ring right on your finger no they represent another reality that when the marriage is consummated they experience that relationship well the old testament was pointing to something preparing israel but when jesus came those things were no longer needed as you, you could read the book of hebrews they were types and shadows looking forward to the day in which christ would come so now that sin has been dealt with, these laws are done away with, and here's what happens. In effect now, the doors are opened for the nations to become part of the family of God. And we see the point of this in several places in our text. Look in uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 15. Look at what God says to Peter. And a voice came to him again a second time. 
and says to Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. Move on down to verse 28. See this point reiterated a different way. Peter says, you yourselves know that how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Come down to verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then chapter 11, verse 12, Peter's reflecting on what we're going to see. And he says, And the Spirit told me to go with them, meaning these Gentiles, making no distinction. <laughs> is, is there something going on over there? All right. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to embarrass you. <laughs> There's grace. As we examine this passage, bring it back in. I want us to learn what Peter had to learn and the early church had to learn. That there are no unclean people anymore. In other words, the people of God are to be diverse. And the externals should not distinguish people. Now this is probably something we say, oh yeah, the gospel goes out to all people. The gospel goes to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And we can have that mental preparation. I know that's what's going to happen. I know that's what we're supposed to do. But yet when it happens, we're often stretched just like Peter and those with him are going to be stretched. And we can learn lessons here for how we are to carry out the Great Commission. So as we come to our text, we're going to look really at the preparation, the proclamation, the transformation, and the explanation what happened as God opens up salvation to the Gentiles. Let's look as at God gives the preparation. And this is really what we're going to need. We're going to need preparation. And my prayer is that God is preparing us to reach people different than us. And we see we're introduced at the very beginning of chapter 10, a man in Caesarea whose name is Cornelius. And he's a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, meaning he was, he was a, a leader in the um, Roman guard who oversaw at least a hundred men. In other words, this was not a Jew. This is a Roman official. But he was a devout man. He was one who, who we see here, he was a, who feared God. And this is a term that we're going to come across in, in the book of Acts over and over, God-fearers. And these were Gentiles, non-Jews, who aligned themselves and wanted to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But get this, they didn't want to become Jews. They didn't want to go through the process. And for whatever reason, they were close, and they might associate, they might come to the synagogues, they applied the messages, but they didn't put themselves fully in under the covenant. But they were intrigued, they, they would be what we might call seekers. They're drawn to the nation of Israel. 
We see here, he's a devout man, and he did what was good. He, he was involved in, in almsgiving, charitable giving to the people, and probably he is one who, who serves and, and gives his money at the synagogue and helps out the poor. In a human sense, and even in a divine sense, he was seen as one who was a good guy. But Notice what happens in verse 3. At about the ninth hour of the day, this is the hour of prayer, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So here's what's going on. God is preparing Cornelius. And here's what I want you to be thinking here. And I've heard stories even on the mission field of before missionaries even come, men in a, in a city, influential men, who might have had a dream of, of, of he, seeing an individual saying, there is a man coming and he's going to tell you how you can be forgiven. This is new territory coming in, new, new people groups who have yet to ever hear the gospel in whether it happens in this miraculous way or even just through circumstances, God is always working, preparing hearts to receive the message. And this is what we're seeing. God is preparing Cornelius and he's saying, hey, you need to send some of your men to this town called Joppa. And there's a man named Simon Peter who's there. I want your guys to go ask for him and bring him back here. And he's going to tell you what you need to know. So they do that. God here is preparing Cornelius. Not only that, he's preparing Peter. As Cornelius has now sent out his men to go to Joppa, we see in verse 9 that God was doing a work also in Peter. And the next day, they were on their journey approaching the city. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, this is about lunchtime, to pray. And he came, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. So here's what God now is doing in Peter's life. A believer. Peter probably knows, hey, the mission is to take the gospel to the nations, but he doesn't realize he needs to change. There's an adjustment that needs to happen. He needs to be prepared to go to Cornelius, a Gentile, who in his mind was unclean, off limits. However, as Cornelius has been come, Peter to come to Peter, God is preparing him to go out of his comfort zone. Look at this vision for a moment. It's kind of strange. A thing comes flying down out of heaven. Your translations might have a, a sheet. I'm imagining a picnic sheet, you know, just, just coming down. 
But notice he says here, um, the great sheet descending being let down by its four corners. What's significant about that? You might remember when Jesus talks about the four corners of the earth, the angels holding back the winds of the four corners, and that the judgment that they're going to come from the four corners of the earth. The idea here is that the whole earth is going to be affected by this. This is drawing on our mind global um, kind of sign significance here. And so this sheet is coming down, and the idea is that it's covering the globe. And it comes down, and inside of it, with, you know, I imagine four angels holding it down, fluttering down, and inside you're expecting like a stork with a little baby, but instead of a baby, you got reptiles. You got creeping things, you got pigs, you got birds. And I imagine all these things are the things that Peter's told he's not to eat in the Old Testament, the food laws. And a voice comes to him and says, well, you need to kill it. And then eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I know the rules. You're not supposed to do that. But what yet Peter had not yet remembered is what Jesus had told him. Jesus had already declared all foods clean in the Gospels. He'd forgotten. In fact, Peter's going to struggle with this over and over. The church is going to struggle with this issue. This is going to be the issue we're going to see over and over and over again because it is totally blowing their minds of how God is working now in light of Christ. In fact, in the book of Galatians, you, you might be familiar, Paul has to confront Peter because at one point he would have lunch with the Gentiles. But when the Jews started hanging out, he kind of got embarrassed. He's like, oh, I don't want them to see me hanging out with these people. So he withdrew, and he stopped eating at the Gentile table and went to the Jew table. And Paul has said, no, 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 no. You do not do that. That's not consistent with the gospel. Peter's going to struggle, but, and we see it here. He has to be told three times. Peter had to be told three times a lot, didn't he? Three times. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, wait a minute. This is food. We're not talking about people yet. But food keeps you from, if you have food laws, keeps you from eating with people who don't have them. I have some friends. I love them dearly. But they've gone all vegan on me. <laughs> we can't have lunch. Because there are no restaurants that I like that they like. And so it's hard to have lunch. They're not here. Don't worry about it. But <clears throat> it keeps you. Food keeps you from hanging out with people if you don't eat what they eat. Let alone you're not going to go to their house because you're not control the food. Same thing's going on here. God has lifted that boundary marker, that hindrance that kept Gentiles from coming in the people of God. Now, verse 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, this time the men who were sent by Cornelius, they came. They were there. If you look at verse 19, while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, these men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation. That word there means without judgment. Do not go down there and have a hesitation. Which is the hesitation? Oh, these filthy people are here. That's, that's the hesitation. Oh, no. I got I to gotta have them over? Don't have hesitation. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. 
what is the reason you're coming? <laughs> they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken by the whole Jewish nation. You can tell that they got their script down. Hey, hey, we're friends. Was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Now, they don't know what just happened to Peter. Talk about an experience. Okay, so you had a vision too. All right. Now, verse 23 is pretty amazing. So he invited them in to be his guests. Already God has been working on him, preparing him, because if, if God hadn't prepared his heart, he would have never opened that door. And What we're beginning to see is hospitality has an impact for the gospel. He invites them in to be his guests, and on the next day, they go to Joppa, or they go to Caesarea to see Cornelius. Here's what I want us to think about. The preparation. Both Cornelius is being prepared, and then Peter is being prepared as the missionary. This is where I want to encourage us to be praying. Are we praying, Lord, be working in our community. Be preparing hearts through circumstances, trials, questions that come to mind. Maybe they, they, they find a, a Bible, they, they, open, they pull the drawer out the hotel, they open it up. Be working and preparing somebody to meet me, to meet us. And Lord, prepare us when you put these people in our path who might not be what we expect to bring them in. Invite them to be our guests to sit down and give them the time of day, to open up the scriptures, to tell them the gospel. This is what God did in Peter's life. He prepared him. He goes with them to Cornelius, Cornelius' house, and we see the, the proclamation, if you want to put it this way. The proclamation, and you see in, in verse 30, uh, Cornelius, or Excuse me, verse 24. The following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And he'd called together his relatives and his close friends, meaning he got everybody he knew. Hey, the Lord is sending us the one to tell us all the answers. We're prepared. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile. He doesn't know what to do. He fell down and worshiped Peter. <laughs> Peter's like, hold, 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 hold on. Stand up. I too. I'm a man. It really guards us from venerating people. Peter never accepts veneration. He's a man just like they are. He walked in and found many persons gathered. And then he says to them, you yourselves know we're breaking the rules. It's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or clean. You see the connection? The food laws have been fulfilled. Now I can interact with people. The gospel can go to the nations. And then Cornelius tells his story. We'll skip that. We already saw what happened with Cornelius. But in verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Here's the message. So God, prepare our hearts to go to the people you've prepared. And then what do we need to have? We need to have something to say, right? And here's just a real basic gospel presentation. I want you to see this. He gives a clear gospel presentation. Look in verse um, 
36. He says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So we, we want to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Peace. You're going to have your sins forgiven. We have good news for people. God, prepare people to want to hear the good news. That's what we pray. So what is this good news? Well, first of all, that entails just telling people about the life of Christ. Look in verse 37. He says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. And he went about doing good, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. These Gentiles had heard about Jesus. And here in America, most people have some superficial understanding about Jesus. You might be able to say, hey, you've probably heard about this guy named Jesus. You hear Christians worship Jesus, right? Let me tell you, you, know, you heard maybe he healed. He did good deeds. God was obviously with him. Then you go on and you say, well, let me tell you what happened to him. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of both what he, uh, of what he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And he says, they put him to death by hanging him on the tree. We talk about Christ dying. We've talked about his life. Now you talk about his dying. But verse 40, now we talk about his resurrection. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not only to the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as his witnesses. So here's what Peter's doing. I'm one of the witnesses. I'm this apostle. I have the message. What do we do? We say that God raised him from the dead and appeared to these apostles, and they've told us the story. We have the book. Not only that, but verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. We tell people, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to judge people their sins but then verse 43 to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name there's the good news pretty simple maybe in your community groups you can walk through it you can make your own gospel track you have your own cheat sheet life death resurrection second coming believe on the lord jesus christ and you'll be saved and if we're praying, Lord, prepare people, then they'll be prepared to hear it. Those people that God has prepared. I want us to think about this. This takes courage, doesn't it? I mean, even for Peter, three dudes are going to come to your door, follow them, and go to another town to a group of people you don't know. Give us courage, Lord. This is my, my prayer for our church, and I'm... I'm wondering. Lord, you've been taking us to the book of Acts. You've been talking about these themes over and over again. Are you preparing us for what you're about to do? I pray that he is. And I pray that he's preparing us to have courage. You've heard us talking about what's going on with Louisville Rescue Mission and, and Corey Bledsoe leading that charge and, and how uh, ministering to the poor and how Louisville Rescue Mission is they bought property and they've got a building here in downtown Jeff, and how we're going to partner up with them in reaching the poor in our community. It's my prayer that he's preparing some of you to go out of your comfort zone. 
say, I'll go, I'll go volunteer down there. I'll start helping. You just heard Harrison testimony. Harrison works with Louisville Rescue Mission as well. Praying for some of you who say, all right, I want to get involved with Choices for Women. Women who are oftentimes coming out of poverty and they're, they're pregnant now and, and they don't know if they can, they can raise this child. They're thinking about aborting this child. You could go over there and minister and be one to invite them as a guest here. I mentioned Clark County Jail. I've heard some of you saying, are you sure about this, Chase? Yeah, I am. And I, and yeah, and I know some of you have seen that A&E biography that's, or show that's happening. You've seen the trailer. It's nothing like that, by the way. Yeah, there, there's people who have been broken that maybe God's prepared to hear the gospel. See, we can say, oh yeah, I'm all about the gospel going to everybody till those people start showing up. Or we're called to go to those people. And that's when, oh, maybe I, oh, that's hard. And I, I'm telling my own heart, I struggle there. It's my day to go to the jail. I don't look forward to that day, being honest. But notice what happens when we preach the word. And God has already been working, verse 44, the transformation. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Huh. Uh-oh. They're converted. They were, they're, they're transformed. They're, they're, here's the big theological word. They're regenerated. They're born again. Which means they've received forgiveness of sins. But notice verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's just a, a big way of saying the Jews... Jewish believers, which is everybody else by this point, those with Peter who'd come with him were amazed. They're astonished. Their jaws are dropped. Now, how do they know that they have the Spirit? Because verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Uh-oh, this is like Acts 2. They're speaking in tongues. They're speaking languages that they do not know natively. And the same thing that happened to us, Jews, when we believed and the Holy Spirit came down, it's happening to them. And so what does Peter say? Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then Peter commands them to be baptized. I'm really encouraged because I think we've got like seven or nine people going to be baptized this month. And we're going to hear lots of testimonies. This is what we do. You've received the Holy Spirit. You've been regenerated, been born again. You express it through the waters of baptism. But notice what they do not say to them. All right, get your circumcision scheduled. And here's your new diet. And by the way, um, Sabbath, yeah, you're done. No, no more. See, you weren't supposed to receive the Holy Spirit until you've done all these things and you came in. That was their expectation. That's how you're going to reach the Gentiles, God. You're going to make them just like us. Uh-oh. He's not going to make them just like us? That means he's going to save different types of people and they aren't just going to be like me? I challenge you, who are those people for you? You know what I'm talking about. Those people, when you're talking, 
We like to distinguish ourselves, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's our cultural background, our economic status, our, our age, the way we dress, the way we talk. And here's the challenge that always happens for people. Well, you're in the wrong because you're not like me. But notice what the transformation was. It wasn't their clothes. It wasn't their food. It wasn't anything. It was what happened inside. The Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began to worship God. This is what happened to them. The only thing that they are required to do is proclaim this publicly through the waters of baptism. Now anyone can come. Anyone. What does all this mean? Well, we get the explanation in chapter 11. Because Peter gets in trouble. And this is going to happen again in Acts chapter 15. And, and you're going to see this if you read through Paul's letters. Uh, there's conflicts in the church over food. Well, this is the reason. Different people start coming in. These Gentiles, these unclean people. Let me give you a story of where this happened. And I don't see this here, so... Don't take this as a subtle jab at us. But I've seen this happen in churches. Where churches begin to have like an expectation of externals. This is what you do if you're a Christian. And if you're going to be a part of us, then you have to kind of go through a process. And you've got to become us. And I remember the previous church that I served at, we, we started a, a student ministry. And one of the reasons was is because we had a heavy homeschool population. Now, I get free reign to talk about homeschoolers because we homeschool, okay? And I remember the challenge that began to happen when the public school kids came. And I heard students, no doubt, probably repeating what their parents have said to them, saying, I'm not hanging out with those sinners. And they had elevated a way of education as the defining factor if you're really part of the people of God. And here's the thing that I want to challenge us. Not that I see that happening here. We have a good balance. What are those things, though, that we have elevated that distinguishes us? And sometimes it just takes God to bring those people to us before we know, right? Because you, you feel that. That person knocks at the door. They come through. And whoa, we're challenged. That's why I'm asking us to pray now. Lord, prepare our hearts for what we don't expect. We know you're saying go reach people, but I don't know what it's like yet till we start reaching them, right? So that's my prayer for us. And, and, and we see what the significance is here in chapter 11, the explanation. Peter begins to be criticized. And notice exactly what happens in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. You'd think that would be great news. Verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, now notice he, he's not putting the apostles involved here. He says, the circumcision party. Now, I think there's a play on words from verse 45 of chapter 10. All the believers from among the circumcised. Then in chapter 1, verse 2, the circumcision party. Notice he doesn't call them the believers who are circumcised. I think there's this group yet who still thinks the reason they're saved is because they obey the law. And they're the ones who are the exclusive ones. I don't think these are Christians, but sometimes you have groups 
within the church, within the people of God, and yet they're exclusive because they actually don't know the substance of the gospel. We'll get to that later in Acts, but look at what they do. They criticize Peter saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. No, you didn't. Then Peter begins to explain, tells the whole story. I was in Joppa, I received a vision, I had a dream, I went to Cornelius. But jump down, verse 15. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. He's referring back to Acts chapter 2, us Jews. The same thing happened. They believed the gospel. They received the Holy Spirit, which if you have the Holy Spirit, that means you're a Christian. And he says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, proselyte baptism, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter's like, okay, there's going to be the Holy Spirit given to us. We're going to be washed. We're going to be poured with the Holy Spirit. But now he's realizing, oh, that includes all the people. Verse 17 if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the question. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Here's what's going on theologically. God has expanded the people of God. He shows no partiality. There are no distinctions. If you are a believer in Christ, and all of us here, from my knowledge, are non-Jews, you are on the same footing as Jews who believe. And now this Old Testament, the promises that are written to the believers are now written to you and me. We're brought in. They have the same gift. They're on equal footing. And when they heard these things, verse 18, they fell in silence. It was like, uh-oh. But then they, meaning the group, glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So if that's true, let's go back to that verse where, just above where Peter says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Here's what he's saying. How could I then start putting externals beyond the gospel to keep people from coming. Because here's what they're mad. You didn't tell them to go through the process. I can't stand in the way when God has saved them. And so here's the question that I want to leave with us. Are we standing in the way? Are there things that we elevate beyond the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that proclamation message, that hinders us from going to certain? And we say it usually, those people. I want you to, maybe in community group, talk about who are those people for you? Those rich people. Those poor people. Those black people. Those white people. Those Muslims. Or Middle Eastern people. I'm not saying you, get, you have to come to Christ. Hear, hear that. Who are those people? young people, the old people. And usually when we say things like that, you know what we're saying? 
If they were just like me, we wouldn't have a problem. That's called pride. It's called arrogance, and we're all susceptible to it. That's why we have to be reminded. But thank God, the gospel came to Cornelius and his household. Because now, as we're going to continue through the book of Acts, it starts going to all kinds of crazy people. And guess what? That's you and me, too. <laughs> all right, let me pray for us, and then we'll sing one more song in closing. Dear Holy Father, your grace is amazing. It's jaw-dropping. The people that we think, oh, they couldn't possibly be someone you're working in, Lord, actually could be. We were those people. We just heard testimonies of unlikely candidates. And yet your marvelous grace was poured upon them, poured it upon us. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who's elevated, who's elevated things, maybe unknowingly, but Lord, that you're pricking our hearts and you're showing us, you know what, I, that's, helped, that's hindered me from ministering to my neighbor, to my coworker, to that person I come across um, um, when I'm at the store, because I've had an, an external standard that, Lord, you, you don't require. Lord, show us. Show us this week. Prepare us. And, Lord, give us the courage to proclaim the gospel to those whom you've prepared. Amen. Let's stand and sing one closing song.